Welcome to The Millionaire's Lawyer, where you'll hear leading professionals share expert advice on how to grow your business and sell it for maximum profitability. If you want to learn lawyer-proven strategies for building and exiting your business, then this is the podcast for you. Your host, J.P. McAvoy, is a business lawyer, college professor, and best-selling author who has been assisting clients start, grow, and sell their businesses for millions of dollars for over 15 years. Will yours be the next? Now here's your host, J.P. McAvoy. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We got a great show with Andy Cagnata, who's the CEO of Transworld Business Advisors. You'll hear that we've got a lot of synergies. Uh, he brokers business deals, obviously as an attorney. We work on those deals once they've actually been brokered. He's also got his own podcast called The Deal Board Podcast, which he's offering advice for people looking to market and sell their business. He says it's a seller's market. There's no doubt that it is right now. He speaks to us from Seattle here today. Andy, thanks so much for joining us here today. I understand from Seattle, but uh, I mean, the main business is in Florida-based, right? I guess, although it now expands throughout the U.S.? Yeah, we're, we're all over the U.S. Uh, through our franchising partners at United Franchise Group. But yes, Transworld started in Florida. I still own the 11 offices in Florida, and we operate a business brokerage every single day selling lots of deals. And then across the United States, I have franchise partners and overseas. Excellent. Great stuff. And we were just talking offline. Our two businesses are quite complementary. Obviously, you work with a lot of lawyers. Uh, You like to speak to the vendors around the time that they're looking to exit. Obviously, there would be some things they've done ideally prior to that time, but that's usually when you become involved, right? Yeah, we usually come involved with the day they decide it's time to go. And uh, a lot of times we love working with people like yourself. Of course, there are lawyers and people that help them build their business along the way because that's what they really need to do leading up to it. And um, oftentimes we're not called until the last minute and they start to wind things down and that's bad. Yeah, let's let's talk on that, right? Uh, because we're, I think, probably both saying things to people. I'm uh, usually involved early in the process, uh, encouraging to put certain things into place. But when we say it's bad, what are some of the bad things that happen when you know you go to do a deal and you haven't done your homework or you don't have things prepped for that? Yeah. So what happens is a lot of times they'll start winding down their business, which is bad. You know, they'll they'll start cutting back. They'll start the sales and the profits will come down. And that's bad news. That's bad news to the lenders. That's bad news to the buyers because everybody's trying to buy a business based on what it's going to do in the future. So if the line is coming down, that is certainly not going to help the future trend line. And trend lines are very important to people, private equity groups, and just Regular businesses, people who are buying businesses want to see the future is bright. So winding things down is bad. And, you know, there's lots of other bad things people could do, like not have great books and records is probably the number one thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's things that we encourage when people are right involved in their business, you know, when they've got the energy early on, they're perhaps doing all these things, but they tend to sometimes slip over time and they sort of take their you know, their eye off the wheel, right? Their eye off the horizon as it is. We encourage people obviously to stick with it. And we we advise them it's going to actually impact a return on a sale, isn't it? A potential return on a sale. If, the, if some of the things aren't in place the way you just described. Yeah. I mean, listen, if businesses sell for a multiple of earnings, which they do, and as businesses grow, uh, the multiple gets higher. So it's compounded. So a business that's a very small business, say that makes 50,000 a year might sell for one or two times earnings. And something that makes a million dollars a year or $2 million a year could sell for five, six, you know, seven times. So the quality and quantity of the earnings drive multiples. 
And if they start to wind it down, it'll, it'll hurt them even more. Yeah, there's an impact there. Now, uh, structure. I mean, for deals, how are they typically structured? Are you doing a lot of share sales or a lot of asset sales? What do things look like these days? So most most of the time, 90-something percent of the time, we're doing asset sales. We are not licensed with the SEC here in the United States. So we usually default to an asset sale. But if there is something that drives a stock sale, say there's uh, medical licenses, say there's uh, special contracts, uh, sometimes they will do a stock sale. And that is legal under SEC, no action letter rules. There's all kinds of things we've worked on over the years. But so usually they're structured as asset sales. That's the easiest way for uh, people to do it. And that's the way a buyer is frequently going to want to buy. It's just interesting now we're talking, it's a, it's, it is a seller's market, isn't it? I mean, so perhaps the seller is driving things a little more than they have in the past. Yeah. You know, it's been a seller's market for like 23 out of the 25 years I've done this. I've seen very <laughs> infrequently has it flipped to a buyer's market. The two times I saw it flip to a buyer's market was after 9-11, when people were just kind of panicked and frozen. And number two, right in 2009, 2010, during the economic downturn, it may have flipped to a buyer's market. But even this time, which was completely surprising to us, we thought that this pandemic would drive a buyer's market. Sellers would be panicking. No one panicked. I mean, I think PPP and the EIDL loans helped that uh, situation, but nobody panicked. In fact, I just read an article that much fewer businesses than they thought went out of business during this pandemic. So what you saw was buyers leaving jobs, leaving cities and wanting to buy businesses. And the buyer market is just flooded and it's happening in the housing market as well. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing, right? We're seeing something very similar. It's as you say, Andy, I, uh, I was struck. I had a couple of entrepreneurs, business owners that were considering there would be a huge opportunity at the time of the pandemic. And I saw a, a number of people going with really low ball offers at first thinking there'd be an opportunity. I can tell you that of, of those, I saw only one transaction actually consummate. Other than that, people said no and no thanks. And as you say, they've waited. And it's been interesting to see that the things have actually, I mean, to think that the valuations have actually increased. Uh, like the housing market, we're seeing that the valuations for businesses seem to have increased as well. Are you seeing the same thing on your end of things? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's as crazy as the housing market where people are doing 25% over the listing price, but it certainly has tightened up. There are less businesses for sale in the marketplace. We track that through our MLS program and through, you know, biz by sell and those kind of things. So the inventory is definitely down. When inventory is down, obviously there's going to be more competition. We could put a business up for sale and get you know, a hundred buyers respond. And then we're just trying to figure out who's going to be the best buyer at the best price. You know, because things, and there's an incredible opportunity, we could talk about it too, in the financing world with SBA backed loans, that they're getting three months for free right through September of this year. Because of that, because things are mostly backed by SBA loans, the valuations haven't changed much. In fact, the people who are doing the valuations for the SBA are ignoring 2020. And they're going back to 2019 and looking at current financials to try to figure out what a business is worth. That's pretty interesting that they're doing it that way because they're sort of, uh, I guess they're considering what we're in right now to be an anomaly that's going to over time correct, uh, which is which is quite interesting to think that we are there. Do you think that's the case? Or, I mean, obviously that thinking is being reflected in what, you're, in what you're doing as well, right? 
Hey, you know, it's, it's interesting. We had a business for sale that's actually doing better because of the pandemic, a construction supply business. So again, the housing market's hot and people are fixing their houses. So we had a construction a business for sale doing better in 2020 than it did in 2019. The evaluator refused to look at 2020 and 2021 first quarter was up 20% over 2019's first quarter and they still were ignoring it and putting 2019 numbers on it. So, you know, I don't, you know, we always kind of look to see what the trends are. It's hard to pin it down right now. Yeah, it really is. Uh, And that's where, you know, someone like you comes in. How do you typically get involved? I mean, you're looking for listings, obviously, you're looking for sellers. Uh, How do you work with somebody that's interested in selling their business? Yeah, well, the first thing we'll do is we'll sit down, no obligation. We'll sit down with the person and decide what their goals are. I mean, really, we want to do, as we say, good deals for good people, right? So we're looking for people who want to sell their business and they're going to have to be realistic about the price as well. So we'll sit down with them. We'll take a cursory look at their financials and we'll give them an idea of what we think the marketplace will bring. So say a business is making you know, half a million dollars. And if they wanted, you know, $2 million for it, you know, a four time multiple on that, that's not probably horrible. And that's probably something that may be achievable three to four times on that level. But if they wanted something like, you know, 10 times or 20 times that, you know, a multiple, that's something we would say, hey, listen, go grow your business, go grow it to $2 million of EBITDA. And, you know, you may be looking at a 10, you know, a $10 million sale or a $20 million sale based on your earnings. Right. So as you say, there's a bit of guidance there. They may or may not be ready. If somebody's ready, what does the uh, engagement look like? So the engagement, we usually sign people up for a year. It's an exclusive agreement, which is pretty typical in our business. And because of the way we go out there and market, which we feel we're the number one online advertiser for businesses in the world, we gather as many and confidentially as many buyers as we can. So we sign them up. We have an agreed upon price. Sometimes in our M&A transactions, larger transactions, they'll go out to market without a price to seek bids. But for the most part, businesses that are worth, say, less than $5 million, they'll have a price on it. We'll go to market. We'll advertise depending on what kind of business it is. We'll pick different advertising channels. We have 200,000 buyers in our database right now. So we have this buyer match program where we'll immediately get hits of people that are looking to buy. And then that starts the process of meeting with the sellers and meeting with the buyers. And how do you guys get paid through that process? What does that look like? Is it, uh, I guess it's a function of the, probably the size of the business being sold, right? Yeah, we get paid a percentage of the sale and it can range, can range from say 12% down. And it really depends on the size of the transaction. As the transactions get larger, the percentages come down. And sometimes we have a scaled transaction, you know, you know 10% on the first million, 8% on the other, yeah, and success of millions, it comes down. But it really depends on the transaction. I mean, certainly we've we've done some transactions that were almost forty million dollars, where it was like two point five percent, and you know, so it, it really depends. Yeah, it's going to depend a lot. Now, what if there's something like an earnout? How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, you know, earnouts are a real thing, especially these days. So interesting. Back to that example of where they were doing two thousand nineteen level numbers. And valuing at that, the seller wanted more. And guess what? The buyer was willing to pay more. So they had to put an earnout in there for the sellers. 
And we do get paid on that. And sometimes depending on things, you know, there's a, a negotiation that goes on. But, you know, earnouts are a real thing to try to make up for gaps in what a seller thinks it's worth and a buyer willing to pay at the time. Yeah, naturally, that's right. And as you say, it's not, uh, you know, one size fits all. There's different, I mean, that's again, why you're involved to help structure a deal, right? To help uh, get to a willing buyer and a willing seller to a spot where they can consummate a transaction. Yeah, sure. I mean, the sellers oftentimes have an unrealistic expectation of value or elevated expectation of value. And it's our job to try to educate them to the marketplace. Not always. I mean, we've certainly had some sellers didn't think their business was worth anything and we wound up selling it for a lot of money. And then buyers, of course, are hesitant. They want to get the best prices they can, but we have to educate them to the marketplace too. And especially people call me all the time. I want a business that is absentee, that has recurring revenues, that has good books and records, that somebody's retiring. And I said, yeah, me too. If I ever <laughs> exactly. find that business, I'm going to buy it. You know, yeah. So nothing's perfect out there. So you have to educate the buyers of what's out there in the marketplace. Yeah. How much are you seeing uh, in terms of online businesses now changing hands? It's fascinating to watch that. I guess I'll call it a segment evolve. What do you see from that? What do you see the future? Well, we're that? seeing one. In fact, we just got done with our sales meeting that we have every week and we bring up our new listings and talk about them. And we have a new Amazon slash eBay business for sale. And we are seeing more of those come to the marketplace. There are some nuances at Amazon about you know, transferring businesses that we're all trying to figure out. But I will, you know, listen, I think not only that is going to online businesses, but I think people will start selling their gig economy businesses too, where, you know, they might be a designer or they might be a cook and be sending out products. I mean, I think people will, you know, they might be giving cooking lessons or guitar lessons. I think people are going to be able to sell those moving into the future. I think there's a future in that. Absolutely agree, Andy. And I'm starting to see it as well. It's interesting. I was speaking to a client uh, last week that he's received an unsolicited offer for his gig business. And he's a software engineer. He's written some uh, interesting code and, uh, you know, somebody liked it and somebody wanted that. I'm similarly getting uh, even podcasters. I know you've got a great podcast as well. This podcast here, you know, we're, we're generating enough earballs, earballs, eardrums. Yeah, I don't know what, you know, there's enough listeners where there are others that are interested in growing their listenership and they're making, they're even making offers on podcasts now. It's just fascinating to watch this evolve. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that yet. And I know you're a hundred episodes in, congratulations. Thank and you. we are too. So that, you know, we all kind of evolved at about the same time. Yes. I think there's going to be more of that as people try to, uh, I think content is king these days. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing, you know, all the streaming services like Netflix and Amazon and everybody getting into that business, Cheddar, a lot of different things trying to get into that business and they're going to start buying content. You saw some big shows sell for a lot of money. What was good news? What's his name? I keep forgetting his name. Sold for a ridiculous amount of money. I forget which network bought it. But And look at, I mean, you know, if you want to talk about the big guys, you know, Joe Rogan being paid as he is to, to move over to a, an exclusive platform. So there's business to be had, right? We'll continue to watch how that evolves. Certainly uh, where there's an asset and there's uh, somebody that's willing to sell it, it's just a question of finding that, uh, that buyer as well. What should buyers be doing to sort of, I guess, put themselves in the best light when you said you're looking for, you know, when you're making that match, that best buyer, I mean, obviously price being one thing, but what are the other things that make it attractive buyer? Well, I think that, you know, listen, sellers are selling their babies a lot of times and they want to make sure that their baby is going to be in good hands. And, you know, they're really close to their employees 
lot of times they want to make sure their employees are going to be treated right. So I think as a buyer, you want to kind of have a plan. We just sold the working on a sale of a large business in South Florida. It's a historic site. And, you know, we had two buyers, two finalists. And the one finalist came in with PowerPoint presentations. He came in with his team. He came in with a plan for the future. And the other one didn't. And it was very apparent which one the family was going to choose to work with. And so I would just tell buyers that they need to be prepared. And listen, it is still a great time to buy business. We're talking about higher valuations. We're talking about, in the end, business purchasing is still a very undervalued investment, I think. I mean, we're talking about two times, three times for sub-million dollar businesses. I can't believe more people and more businesses are not using it as a way to grow their business uh, more frequently. Yeah. And Andy, as you say that, let's be clear, you've bought a business that potentially makes you the seller of a business in a few years, right? Uh, my best clients are the ones that uh, I've done this for repeatedly. You know, I've got some clients that have bought and sold five, six. One of them has sold eight businesses now. He buys them. He's got obviously a skill set for taking a business to the next level and then selling it again. What are some of the things? Well, I'm sure you've got repeat people like that as well. What are some of the things that those people are really skilled at that they can bring as they've purchased a business? You know, I think they just do the right thing. They come into a business. I've seen these, I call them serial entrepreneurs. They come into the business and they wind up systematizing things a little bit. So they get the books and records in shape. They put computer programs in place. I've seen things like landscaping businesses that had no route maintenance or route software. They put that in place. They put like a real HR you know, kind of plan in place for hiring people. And they go out and they do the right thing in marketing. They get a social media presence going. I mean, I'm talking about a landscaper. It's somebody who's bought five landscaping businesses from us. They've built a business that's probably going to do $20 million in the next couple of years from a small little company. And the way they've done it is they've just and they've treated people right. I mean, it's just, you know, being a nice person in business, doing the right thing by your customers. I always tell people, listen, if you're in a place where there's population gain, like South Florida, like Arizona, like a lot of places in the United States have population gain. If you're in a place like that and you buy a business and you do the right thing by people, you can't help but grow. It's just a natural, as you say, it's a natural, uh, it's a natural progression for business. So let's talk about that growth because, as you say, can't help it will happen. But what are some of the things proactively? So you're speaking ideally, as you say, people are speaking to you at the time they go to sell. But uh, ideally, they're putting things in place at least two years before. We've talked about the books. I understand that. We talked about the systems. But in terms of uh, an owner, their baby to sell it, and if it is two years or not two years, if you were to talk to them a couple of years earlier, what are some of the things you're telling them at that time? Well, what I tell people is, so you want to have the capacity to grow. Again, businesses are sold based on future earnings, right? So if you're in a factory or if you're in a warehouse that is literally packed to the gills and it looks horrible, you know, nobody's going to buy that business. We had a couple of businesses for sale that really kind of were topped out. They had two or three shifts going and, you know, almost 24 hours a day. And the buyers saw that they couldn't grow the business. Now, what he did was he went out and bought another manufacturing line. He was able to take it down to one shift, one and a half shifts. And it showed that the business had an incredible amount of growth. Now it could grow literally by two. 
the business immediately sold after that. So I would say you want to have the capacity to grow and you want, listen, you want to make your business look good. You know how they're staging houses these days. Mm -hmm. You want to clean up those environmental issues. If there are anything like that out there, you want to make the business look good. So and doing that and, uh, you know, you're speaking to an attorney here as well. What, what do you see in terms of people having structured things? Do you, do you note that, or do you see people having, you know, sort of put more sophisticated instructions in place, manage perhaps the tax impact of a sale? Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, they do look to see what their proceeds are going to be. Listen, when you go to sell business, you need a good team, right? And one of the members of the team, of course, we think is a, a great business broker to make sure that the transaction goes well, because anything that could happen in the deal does. And you want to be able to have someone to work on it every single day, but you need a good legal team. You need a good CPA, somebody who understands mm-hmm. the taxation and what your balance sheet looks like and what your accumulated depreciation, if you're going to recapture that and how perhaps to sell off things now to get rid of things that you won't have that recapture. There's a lot of things that you can do to make that impact on your taxes, you know, Put more in your pocket than at, at right. the end of the day. And you're right uh, to look at a business, maybe selling off non-core assets or, you know, making sure that things are as streamlined, as attractive for a purchaser as possible. The companies that are accumulating cash, things like that. I mean, typically, I'm sure you'll say that a buyer is not, not interested in buying cash, right? It's not something that's very particularly attractive yeah. to them. Yeah, but it's interesting, right? So I had an S corporation, a designer, a very well successful done design company. And he used to keep $8 million on his balance sheet. Oh my goodness. I mean, just for zero reason, other than he said it made him sleep at night and he wanted to be able, if he saw a furniture line that he really liked, he would go in and buy all the inventory. So no no other designers could have it. He'd stick it in his warehouse. But every single buyer that came to the table, guess what they wanted? They wanted that $8 million in the bank. And then they thought since he's been running his business like that, that it needed to stay. And it really didn't. And, you know, in an S corporation, you have already paid taxes on that $8 million. And as a lawyer, I'm sure you just shrieked because that is, you know, available to future yes. liability. Yes. I mean, you talk about S corp, why would you leave that exposed? Yeah, as you say, as soon as you said that, I, I did shriek. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of reasons. One, I don't think it's that efficient as well. So from a, from a business perspective, I can see it being attractive. Somebody saying yes, uh, but then they're paying for that as well. But yes, yeah, certainly from a liability standpoint, uh, makes no sense. Immediately, I'd be yeah, at minimum saying, let's create a separate corporation, move it across and lend it back and forth at a minimum. But again, that's a topic for another day or a topic for another podcast. Uh, for deals like that, again, that's where you come in and you're looking at what, you know, the moving parts are. And it's interesting, as you say, that uh, different buyers saw an opportunity there. Perhaps they could see a way to actually leverage that cash better as well. Is that something that ultimately became the case? Yeah. I mean, yes. And we wound up restructuring the deal and we did have to leave some cash in the bank on that deal. But, you know, structuring the deal and looking at someone's balance sheet, they might have excess inventory. The other thing that comes into play is what kind of accounts receivables? Have they been servicing those accounts receivables? We've been to some places where they have incredible amounts of people, incredible amounts of 
30, 60, 90, uh, 120 days. They had, you know, we have to clean up these balance sheets before you start. You know, some of the other things they do is they leave too many family members in the business yeah. and they're on high payroll. I mean, there's all these things that you can wind up cleaning up. And we would love to talk to people two years before they sell. Yeah, ideally they're talking, you know, you're laying perhaps some of this groundwork, some of the planning is in place. It doesn't always happen. Of course, then that is where we're involved to do as much cleanup as we can prior to a, a sale being consummated, prior to getting to that kind of spot. Your engagements are typically a one year, right? Is that what uh, you sort of said before? So if someone is listening, someone says, hey, maybe a couple of years down the road, it's obviously not too, too soon to make contact with you. How would someone do that? How do they sort of reach out, sort of get either through you or one of the other franchise locations, I imagine? Yeah, I mean, they could just start at tworld.com, go to our, our website and and say they want to talk to us. Again, those leads come right to me. So uh, even though we have a, you know 600 people, we're still looking those over and deciding who would be the best fit. I mean, when business comes to us, we have sold businesses like it in the past. I mean, we've done thousands of businesses. So I'm usually looking to see who's worked in that industry before and what specialty do we have? Because we have lots of specialties. And yeah, we'd, we'd love to have a conversation with people. It just makes sense to talk, right? To see if something can move forward. If someone is uh, right now thinking, hey, I like what I'm hearing. I don't have that business yet, but in a couple of years time, I'll be invest a couple of years and have a business ready to go. Are, are there any spaces you think would be attractive to be in right now? Good places to build a business? You know, it's funny. I was looking at an article on all the SPACs that have been out there, specialty, you know, and it was interesting. Uh, there were 60, a list of 60 SPACs. And I started looking at the criteria of investment. And I think I got through about 35 to 40 of them before one didn't say technology. Mm-hmm. So obviously technology is hot, right? You were talking about gig economy, people being approached. So technology is always hot. I think online sales uh, will continue to be hot. Listen, I think the service industry, you know, landscaping, and then plowing up in the colder regions and people who are doing pool maintenance and other things like that will continue to be hot. I mean, you can't replace that with a robot. You can't replace that with AI. I think construction will continue to stay hot. I think infrastructure bill goes through. You're going to see all the supply companies and all the people that are providing labor and all those things will continue to stay hot. So I think there's plenty. I think the post-pandemic economy is going to boom in the tourism industry as well. So I think any place that is tourist based that you want to get it, you know, we're seeing restaurants. We just had a restaurant sell in 30 days. A restaurant sell? I mean, they're selling like hotcakes right now because people are realizing that things are going to bounce back very quickly. Yeah. So people are seeing the other side of it, right? Or looking to the other side of it. Uh, it's very interesting to hear that. Now for you, what motivates you, Andy? I mean, you're you're 100 episodes in as well. Congratulations on that. It's no small feat, right? To, to take to, to something like that. You've got a, a wealth of information on your podcast as well. What kind of things get you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, listen, I, I'm here to help people, right? I'm trying to make the world a better place. I do get involved a lot with uh, nonprofits. I've been involved in the nonprofit world for a while. I, I got asked to sit on a board many years ago for a a local uh, food pantry uh, soup kitchen is the best way to describe it. And I started a little charity event that has gone completely nuts that we're 20 years in and we have a thousand people show up every year for the last several years. And so, you know, I just rolled off being chair of the United Way. I think, you know, if I'm lucky enough 
and privileged enough, I guess I was describing privilege. I didn't know what it was at back then, but if I'm privileged enough to be able body, able mind and being able to go out there and make money, I should give some of that back. So yeah, that's, I'm glad you said that. I've had a couple of conversations recently where we discussed actually whether there's an obligation, right? As you discussed privilege, uh, and I think we can agree that we are. We're lucky enough to be able to say that, have the, certainly the ability and uh, the background that allows us to do this. Is there an obligation as well, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there is. Listen, I think to point to the government and yell at the government and whatever side you're on, to point to them that they're the ultimate arbitrators of making our world a better place. I think that is probably unfair to them. I know a lot of public servants, they're doing as good of a job as they can. It's a crazy world up there, but it's really up to us. I mean, really in your communities and especially businesses, we need to do a better job of being a part of it. And I'm part of a some amazing groups like the Broward Workshop, who 100 CEOs that we do try to tackle things like education and income disparities and those kind of things. So, you know, health safety issues. So there's a lot of people doing good things. And I would just urge everyone, especially young people, get involved early. Just go out there and get involved. Yeah, it's amazing the impact it can have, right, on a daily basis. If you were to say to somebody, what's one thing, again, not business specific, but if there's one thing you can do today, you know, and put into practice, what would be, you know, something that sort of worked for you through the years to maybe a young person, right, to, to say, this is something that will lead to some positive result for you? What, what could you, what would you point to? I would say get involved. I mean, I would say join a board or join a committee in a nonprofit. And it really kind of doesn't matter which one. It, you know, there's plenty and there's ways to get involved in events, right? So if you're worried about a long time commitment, get involved in, a, in an event, help produce an event for a nonprofit, and then you'll be out of it in a few months. And then you'll get kind of a taste and they'll see you as a leader in the community, they'll see you as a doer. They'll probably get you more involved in that charity. And as you get involved in more charities, you get to meet incredible people. I've gotten to fly on uh, Wayne Heisinga's plane when he was, <laughs> God bless him. And, uh, you know, because I was uh, involved with junior achievement, I've gotten to meet, you know, uh, lots of great people out there in the world because of my nonprofit. And, it's brought us business. And I didn't do it for that, but it shows you as a trusted advisor in your community. It will lead to job offers. It will lead to perhaps businesses, owning your own business. There's a lot of things that it could lead to. Yeah. It just occurs naturally, doesn't it? Right. You, you put yourself in a position to succeed and it just tends to happen. You may not even be doing it for all, you know anything other than altruistic reasons to begin with, but good things happen. Good things just naturally happen if you're a good person doing the right things. It's karma. It does come back. Nice guys do win in the long run. Yes, maybe bad guys can win in the short run, but that's not long lived. They have to, uh, you know, people who do well in business, I've gotten amazing opportunities because people say, listen, we see what you do in the community. We want to give you the business. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's the case. Yeah. And so true. So you've got the deal board as well. You speak to, I mean, a successful podcast in its own right. A lot of the topics are related to business assets, right? Yeah. So Jessica Fiakovich and I are big fans of entrepreneurs. So we talk about a lot of things and we'd love to have you on to talk about uh, some legal issues as well and some things that you're seeing to help people grow and protect their businesses. 
I was listening to some of your uh, podcasts and uh, I love to get rid of the toxins. I was listening to <laughs> 100th episode. I mean, just intriguing stuff. You're bringing value to businesses and that's what we're trying to do to bring value to entrepreneurs. And yes, we want to focus in on that time when it's time for you to leave. And there will be a time. And you're, as we always say, you're going to leave toes first or you're going to be able to walk out and protect your employees and protect your legacy. And that's what we want to help you do. Yeah, absolutely. And just to be thinking about it, love to help out with the podcast as well. Let me know there. And as I say, I think it's, it's great. And the topics are great. What you guys are doing there is fantastic as well. And as you say, putting into minds for people, as they say, they are going to be going at some point. It's just a question of how, right? To, why not plan for that ultimate success? I'd like to end these shows. Uh, and again, thanks so much for being here with us today. But one thing for that business owner to, as you say, plan for that success. One thing that they can be doing. We've talked about a number of the different things throughout the course of this show here today. No matter where that business owner may be, no matter what phase they may be at in terms of their business, if there's something that they can be thinking for the next five years, what would be something that you'd be suggesting that they ought to be doing? They ought to be systematizing their business. They need to make sure that they have a books and records system upgraded. A lot of times it has to be a little bit more than QuickBooks, but make sure that if you have inventory, make sure you have an inventory tracking system, make sure you know where your KPIs are coming from, your customers are coming from. And that is so important. The better you have your business kind of systematized, on a piece of software and or you know whatever it is, CRM system, customer base, all that stuff is so important. There you go. So, uh, I mean, as you say, getting organized, right? Getting the ship or the house in order as it is. So great stuff. You're clearly doing that with Transworld and all the things that you do. Andy, thanks so much for joining us here today. I look forward to connecting next time on The Millionaire's Lawyer. Thank you, JP. Thanks for listening to The Millionaire's Lawyer. Please subscribe and rate on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. To get your business millionaire assessed and to access the wide variety of resources that we offer in addition to this podcast, go to jpmcavoy.com. That's jpmcavoy.com.